Hello, and welcome to PW Kids Cast, the children's book podcast from Publishers Weekly. In each episode, we speak with authors and illustrators creating books for children and teens. I'm Emma Cantor, Associate Children's Book Editor at Publishers Weekly. Today, I'm speaking with Tomi Adiemi, debut author of Children of Blood and Bone, first in the Legacy of Orisha trilogy. The book is due out in March from Henry Holt Books for Young Readers, which is sponsoring this podcast. Children of Blood and Bone is set in the world of Orisha. Eleven years prior to the events in the book, the ruthless king Saran, fearing an uprising, eradicated magic from the land by killing all of the Magi, including the mother of Zeli Adabola. The descendants of the Magi, known as Diviners, have been oppressed ever since. Now 17-year-old Zeli, who possesses magical gifts of her own, has set out with her brother and Princess Amari, daughter of the king, on a quest to restore magic. Meanwhile, they're being hunted by Amari's brother, the crown prince Inan, who has been ordered to kill them and snuff out magic once and for all. Thank you for speaking with me, Tomi. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. I saw the video on Twitter of you yesterday unboxing your first hardcover copy of the book. Congratulations. Thank you. I'm still um, kind of overwhelmed. <laughs> I didn't expect it to go the way it's going. Uh, like my friend texted me this morning and was like, oh, Stephen King has retweeted it. <laughs> and I was like, what do you mean, Stephen King? <laughs> wow. um, so I'm still, yeah, I still don't really know what's going on. So your bio mentions that you graduated from Harvard in 2015 with a degree in English and later studied West African mythology in Brazil. When did you first begin writing the book? So the book didn't start until April 2015 um, is when I saw a picture of this black girl with like fluorescent green hair. And it just captivated me. I just remember very specifically, I went into work that day and I was like with my deskmates, I was like, guys, look at this picture. And I was like, even showing my boss, I was like, you got to see this picture. Um, and everyone was like, oh, cool. Did you draw it? And I was like, no. Um, they're like, do you know who draw it? I was like, no. And then they're like, okay, we'll get back to work. And I'm like, okay, but how can we work? This picture is amazing. Um, and so it really just captured my imagination. And it was the first time I really wanted to know who the character was and what her world looked like and what a day in her life looked like. Um, and through brainstorming or really just kind of daydreaming about that, I got to the point where I'm like, okay, well, what if she was like a fisherman or a fisherman's daughter and she had to go do this big market to trade and someone ran up to her and was like, Hey, you have to get me out of here. Um, and I remember I was talking to my boyfriend that night and I was like, is that interesting? It feels interesting. And he was like, I think it's interesting. And I was like, okay, well, I'm going to run with it. So I discovered the Orisha in the summer of 2015. And I knew I was going to do something with that because I had never seen like black gods and goddesses. Um, and I'd never seen black people depicted as like so sacred. And it was a really emotional moment for me. And I knew there was a whole world of stories that could be told with it. I just didn't have the idea. Um, so then that next April, when I kind of found that picture and it became the inspiration point for my main character, that's where I was like, oh, and now I have a place to use the Arisha I discovered like, I don't know, eight or so months ago. And so it was a short, 
I guess, creation period because it really hit me all at once. And I never had a story kind of writing experience like that. So I'm curious how much of the world of Orisha is rooted in your own studies of myth and your heritage? Yes. So really the entire world is based off of my heritage and the Orisha. And that was one of the most fun parts for me um, because I've always been drawn to fantasy. I have a lot of really bad unfinished fantasy novels um, with worlds that they had something about them that was cool, but they didn't quite make sense there. They didn't have a deeper meaning. So this was the first time where I didn't just get to build a cool, like magical fantasy world. I got to put my heart in it which was everything from service level, like the clothes that they wore or the foods that they were eating. But I got to make things also more meaningful. Like when, whenever they cast magic, they have to speak Yoruba to do it. And that's the language that like I grew up hearing. It's the language my parents grew up speaking. And like having, being able to text my mom and be like, hey, what was grandma's maiden name? Um, I need to name a mountain range this. And they were like, oh yeah, what's grandpa's middle name? Okay, that's going to be the name of the sea. Instead of just pull things from thin air, which is kind of how my other world building experiences have been. I was able to really build this world with love um, and build it with like, okay, this is me and this is my heritage. And it's really made the whole experience so much more meaningful. I think that's why I was kind of a, a mess. I mean, there's lots of reasons I was a mess when I was opening and holding the book for the first time. Um, but just seeing it and being like, oh, this book is fully me. Like it's not just this exciting fantasy that I love, or it's not just this really cool visual because I wanted to write a cool magic scene, but I was like, this is my heart. This is my heritage and I'm holding it in my hands. And so it was, it was really wonderful. And for the Arisha that it really lended itself well to building magic on building up to being the foundation for which I was able to build the magic of the world, just because these, these deities are just so dynamic and they're so powerful and they have all these things that they naturally represent. So some like, a, will say, I say God and goddess for ease. They're really more like divine spirits or like the equivalent of saints, uh, in the Western world. Um, but I'll just say gods and goddesses for ease, but seeing like Yomoja, the goddess of the sea, like you can't see that without wanting to see magic from it. You know, even just the artwork out there, like it, it, it almost writes itself. So it was a really wonderful experience. I've really enjoyed it. You mentioned some of the magical elements and there are 10 magi clans, each with their own deity, as you mentioned, and special powers. How did you go about juggling those elements while still keeping the plot going forward? So, yeah, with writing the book, I, I was actually had a little bit of an easier time because we were mostly dealing with a world that doesn't have magic. They had magic taken away 10 years ago. So it gave me um, the ability to build kind of from like go into my Excel sheets and build all these 10 Magi clans and and build the history around them and, and be able to show that without having to fully juggle all of this different magic within the plot, which I, I look at it at times and I'm like, okay, why couldn't you just create four? <laughs> I was like Harry Potter at four, um, Divergent had four. I was like, four seems like a really good number to balance. Um, I was like, you have 10. That's going to be a little crazy. And it's funny because I think there was actually 15 to start with. Um, and then when I 
when I sold the book, my editor was like, so we should like pare this down. And I was like, you are definitely correct. <laughs> so, um, and even now I was just like, yeah, you probably should have figured out how to do four. But the other, that was the other thing where I couldn't bring it down to four because with the Arisha, the things that they represent are so dynamic that it's like, I wanted to show everything. So I think there's, there's a debate about how many Arisha there are. Like some people, some say there's 400, some say there's 700, some say there's like 14,000 or a thousand and 400. Sorry. That's, this is why I'm a writer. So, um, there's a debate about how many there are, but there was just so many interesting things to choose from because yes, if you have a, a, like a goddess like Yamoja, the goddess of the ocean, it's very simple to be like, okay, well then the people who worship her and the people she's blessed would be able to do water magic. But then when you have a goddess like Oya, who represents like transitions and cemeteries and storms and, and hurricanes and, and all of these amazing things. It's just like, okay, you kind of want to show it all. Um, and that's kind of where I found myself not able to fully limit my creativity because I didn't want to just keep it to things we had already seen, like, like elemental magic. Um, I wanted to, I wanted to show it all. And I wanted to expose people to it all because it's really cool. Um, and it's really beautiful. And it's a thing that most people haven't experienced in their life. Like I didn't, know this existed until I was in my 20s. Um, I actually had the really cool opportunity to talk to Gabrielle Union like a summer ago at BookCon. I just wanted to approach her because she's incredible. And I had to tell her that because I was like, okay, I'll probably never be in a room with you again. Um, But when she saw the book was about Arisha, she was just like, oh my gosh, like I, I didn't know about this until until very recently. So it's just a thing that most people haven't been exposed to um, and they get exposed to it in their kind of adult life. And I thought this is something that people need to see a lot earlier. So once you had your story in mind, what was your journey to publication like? It was pretty insane. Um, It was insane, especially because I, like I mentioned briefly, the first book I worked on um, from first draft to getting rejected enough to know it wasn't going anywhere was about three, three and a half to four years. Um, so it was a painfully slow process. Um, a lot of, I, I guess, false starts, you know, where you start, you, you're revising your book, but you don't know if you're actually making it better and you're kind of just driving yourself crazy. Um, I also didn't really have a writing community. So a lot of this was done alone in isolation with like, only my boyfriend seeing me in a really crazy hairnet to to talk about it with. And and so I that was kind of what I thought was the foundation for what publishing would be like and or at least trying to get published would be like. And then with this book, because of everything I learned in book one, my ability to write the story really fast had changed. So like it took me a year to write the first draft of my first book. It took me a month to write the first draft of this book. Also, because I knew so much more about publishing, I knew so much more about opportunities. So there was this contest called Pitch Wars um, that I had known about or that I had wanted to enter for about eight months when I had this book idea. And the enter the entry period was three months from from when I had the idea for the book. And so I knew that if I wanted to enter with this book, I would have to outline it, write the first draft and then write a clean enough second draft to show the book's potential by like August. So 
I went from taking a year to write a first draft to taking a month. I went from taking a year to revise a second draft to taking another month. Um, so that was really crazy. But it ended up getting into the Pitch Wars competition, which gave me the opportunity to um, revise it with my mentor, uh, Ashley Hearn, who is this brilliant acquiring editor at um, Page Street Publishing now. Um, but she wasn't when I, when she was my mentor, but she guided me. And so we revised the book for two or more months. And that was an incredible experience because I'd never written with such like active and wonderful feedback. It always been, I think this makes it better, but who am I to say? And for the first time I was like, oh, I know I'm making my story better and this is great. And then from that competition, I got my agents. And even that was a crazy process because with my first book, it was maybe six months to get 12 like agent rejections. Um, with this book, it, after six days of like trying to get an agent with it, I had 12 different offers of representation. So that was another kind of insane process. But after it was all said and done, I ended up with my agents, Hillary Jacobson and Alexandra uh, Machinis. And that was also a new process because I'm like, okay, now I am working with people. Like I have partners in my writing career and we work really hard to revise the book for about two and a half or three months. And then we took it on submission with publishers. And that was another crazy thing. <laughs> um, that was a really crazy, crazy time. It was wonderful and it was so exciting, but it was like, one of the most overwhelming weeks of my entire life. So your persistence really paid off. Yeah, no, it's, I think that's the thing I really want people to know. Well, I really want like both writers or anyone who has any dream at all to know is that you are going to fail. You are going to get rejected. Like Harry Potter got rejected and Harry Potter now has a theme park. So I was like, you I was like know that rejection is just the path to what you want. And I, I haven't even seen it with me. One of my um, closest friends, like uh, Adeline Grace, she has a book coming out winter, I think 2020 called all the stars and teeth. Like I saw her behind the scenes go through all of the same things at different stages. Like, Oh, this book didn't get any agent requests. Okay. I'm going to write a new one. Cool. Now I have eight offers. Okay. Now I'm going to go on sub and like, just never stopping. Like when someone tells, you no you just keep going and you just keep going because getting rejections really just means not yet. And it could mean not yet with this book. Maybe it needs more revisions. It can mean not yet. You need to write another book, which is what it was in my case. The, the rejections I got for my first book were incredibly kind. And they actually gave me the courage to really pursue writing because there was a lot of agents saying, Hey, you have something. I can tell you have something. Um, I couldn't sell this book. And they couldn't have sold the book because my first book was a love letter to the Harry Potter generation, which is basically what I think every fantasies author's first book is. It's just a love letter to Harry Potter. Um, and yes, Harry Potter will be probably on the best sellers list for all of time, but that that's not the type of fantasies that people are reading right now. And I hadn't educated myself about that. So it was very clear to me, okay, I know how to write. I just need to write another book. Um, I didn't know if it would happen with this book. I didn't know if it would happen with my third book or my fourth book, but it was clear to me that it would happen. And so the faster I started writing, the faster it would happen. Well, the book isn't yet out, but already a film adaptation is in development with Fox 2000. Will you have any involvement in the production? Yeah, I've actually 
I've already got to be involved. I'm collaborating with the screenwriter who is amazing. I keep, I keep being honored that like he even wants to collaborate with me because I'm like, you're incredible. Um, but yeah, the, the team has been really wonderful from things like show me every, all 900 pictures on your Pinterest board to, Oh, let's talk about like the, the architecture of this one scene, um, to, to kind of the deeper themes in the book. And like what I'm hoping to get across, it's, they've been really, really wonderful. And I'm, I'm just starting to believe that it's really happening. Um, which they've, they've told me this for like since March, but I didn't let myself believe it. I kept waiting for Ashton Kutcher to come out and be like, you've been punked in the most elaborate punk that I've ever put out. And I like, that's what I was waiting for. I kept waiting for the shoe to drop. Um, but at this point I'm like, okay, no, we're really doing this. Um, and I think the other reason I couldn't believe it is because everyone is so nice. Um, I worked in Hollywood for, it was a short time, but I did work um, enough time that I was just like, there's no way all of these wonderful, nice, passionate people are trying to turn this into a movie. I was like, that alone made me too suspicious. But but no, it seems like all these wonderful, nice people are trying to turn it into a movie. So so I'm I'm really excited about that. Like there are some things there are some things I just cannot wait to see and with like a film composition in the background like I love score music I love it I write to like I write to the interstellar soundtrack a lot um right now I'm writing to the the Westworld season two they had this composition of Runaway by Kanye West that is just beautiful and I was just playing that on repeat yesterday while I was writing so just to think that like, oh, guess what? You're going to have a score like that. My nerd, I'm nerding out <laughs> really hard. I was like, you could write to your own score. How cool would that be? Very meta. Yeah. Children of Blood and Bone is first in a trilogy. Without spoiling the ending, book one leaves off at a dramatic moment in the battle to restore magic to Orisha. Can you give us any hints about what's in store in part two? I'm okay. I'm going to be very careful. Um, there's going to be more action, lots more action. Um, there's going to be a lot of relationship turmoil, which you can come to expect. I guess I'm a violent writer, which I get, I get, I get, but people are like, my sister was, my little sister was reading it. She was just like, damn, don't we? And so I was like, you can expect more of that. <laughs> Yeah, I feel like that's all I can say without spoiling anything. I'm actually in the process of writing it now. I'm trying to write the first draft of it before book one comes out in March. So I'm about 60 pages in or so. And it's exciting. I've never written a follow-up because, well, first, I've only finished two books in my life. I've been writing my whole life, but it's a lot of unfinished uh fantasies and like Naruto and X-Men fan fiction. Um, so I've never actually written a sequel. So to be in a world, it almost, almost feels like writing fan fiction because I've never written in a world that's already established. And so then to think of the dynamics and, and say, okay, well, how would this change this? And how would this affect this? And how do you get from A to B? It's, it's exciting. I'm also already excited for book three, <laughs> which I know I really need to slow, slow my roll or slow down my horses or something. But um, when I was outlining book two, I had all these ideas for book three. And so that got me really excited. And now 
it's hard because when I, I'm so sensitive to spoilers, like there's nothing worse to me than a spoiler. Um, so even the people I love, like I don't, I was like, you'll see it when it's in the text. I can't share it with you, but I'll be like, oh my God, I just had the best idea and you'll find out about it in two and a half years. So <laughs> there's a long delay to this, but I am, I am excited. And I think readers are going to be really excited too, because we're, we're going back into the world with characters that they hopefully will come to love in book one. Um, and there's going to be new characters that I'm already falling in love with. So I can't wait for them to meet them too. Well, congratulations on the debut and thank you for speaking with me. Thank you so much. Once again, I've been speaking with Tomi Adeyemi, whose debut novel, Children of Blood and Bone, is out in March from Henry Holt. Thank you for listening to PW Kids Cast. <laughs>